Chapter Three of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, a Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Introduction, The Last Abbot of Whaley. Chapter Three, Whaley Abbey. A sad, sad change hath come over the fair abbey of Whaley. It knoweth its old masters no longer. For upwards of two centuries and a half hath the blessed place grown in beauty and riches. Seventeen abbots have exercised unbounded hospitality within it, but now they are all gone, save one, and he is attainted of felony and treason. The grave monk walketh no more in the cloisters, nor seeketh his pallet in the dormitory. Vesper or matin song resound not as of old within the fine conventual church. Stripped are the altars of their silver crosses, and the shrines of their votive offerings and saintly relics. Pyx and chalice, thurible and vile, golden-headed pastoral staff and mitre embossed with pearls, candlestick and Christmas ship of silver, salver, basin and ewer, all are gone. The splendid sacristy hath been despoiled. A sad, sad change hath come over Whaley Abbey. The libraries, well stocked with reverend tomes, have been pillaged, and their contents cast to the flames, and thus long-laboured manuscript, the fruit of years of patient industry, with gloriously illuminated missal, are irrecoverably lost. The large infirmary no longer receiveth the sick, in the locutory sitteth no more the guest. No longer in the mighty kitchens are prepared the prodigious supply of meats, destined for the support of the poor, or the entertainment of the traveller. No kindly porter stands at the gate, to bid the stranger enter and partake of the munificent abbot's hospitality. But a churlish guard bids him hie away, and menaces him, if he tarries, with his halbert. Closed are the buttery hatches and the pantries, and the daily dole of bread hath ceased. Closed also to the brethren is the refectory. The cellarer's office is ended. The strong ale, which he brewed in October, is tapped in March by roistering troopers. The rich muscadel and Malmsey, and the wines of Gascoigne and the Rhine, are no longer quaffed by the abbot and his more honoured guests, but drunk to his destruction by his foes. The great gallery, a hundred and fifty feet in length, the pride of the abbot's lodging, and a model of architecture, is filled not with white-robed ecclesiastics, but with an armed earl and his retainers. Neglected is the little oratory dedicated to Our Lady of Whaley, where night and morn the abbot used to pray. All the old religious and hospitable uses of the abbey are foregone. The reverent stillness of the cloisters, scarce broken by the quiet tread of the monks, is now disturbed by armed heel and clank of sword, while in its saintly courts are heard the ribald song, the profane jest, and the angry brawl. Of the brethren, only those tenanting the cemetery are left, all else are gone, driven forth as vagabonds, with stripes and curses, to seek refuge where they may. A sad, sad change has come over Whaley Abbey, in the plenitude of its pride and power has it been cast down, desecrated, despoiled. Its treasures are carried off, its ornaments sold, 
its granaries emptied, its possessions wasted, its storehouses sacked, its cattle slaughtered and sold, but though stripped of its wealth and splendour, though deprived of all the religious graces that, like rich incense, lent an odour to the fane, its external beauty is yet unimpaired, and its vast proportions undiminished. A stately pile was Whaley, one of the loveliest as well as the largest in the realm. Carefully had it been preserved by its reverend rulers, and where reparations or additions were needed, they were judiciously made. Thus age had lent it beauty, by mellowing its freshness and toning its hues, while no decay was perceptible. Without a struggle had it yielded to the captor, so that no part of its wide belt of walls or towers, though so strongly constructed as to have offered effectual resistance, were injured. Never had Whaley Abbey looked more beautiful than on a bright, clear morning in March, when this sad change had been wrought, and when, from a peaceful monastic establishment, it had been converted into a menacing fortress. The sunlight sparkled upon its grey walls, and filled its three great quadrangular courts with light and life, piercing the exquisite carving of its cloisters, and revealing all the intricate beauty and combinations of the arches. Stains of painted glass fell upon the floor of the magnificent conventual church, and dyed with rainbow hues the marble tombs of the laces, the founders of the establishment, brought thither when the monastery was removed from Stanlaw in Cheshire and upon the brass-covered gravestones of the abbots in the presbytery. There lay Gregory de Northbury, eighth abbot of Stanlaw and first of Whaley, and William Reed, the last abbot. But there was never to lie John Paslew. The slumber of the ancient prelates was soon to be disturbed, and the sacred structure within which they had so often worshipped upreared by sacrilegious hands. But all was bright and beauteous now, and if no solemn strains were heard in the holy pile, its stillness was scarcely less reverential and awe-inspiring. The old abbey wreathed itself in all its attractions, as if to welcome back its former ruler, whereas it was only to receive him as a captive doomed to a felon's death. But this was outward show. Within all was terrible preparation. Such was the discontented state of the country, that fearing some new revolt, the Earl of Derby had taken measures for the defence of the abbey, and along the wide circling walls of the close were placed ordnance and men, and within the grange stores of ammunition. A strong guard was set at each of the gates, and the courts were filled with troops. The bray of the trumpet echoed within the close, where rounds were set for the archers, and martial music resounded within the area of the cloisters. Over the great north-eastern gateway, which formed the chief entrance to the abbot's lodging, floated the royal banner. Despite these warlike proceedings, the fair abbey smiled beneath the sun, in all, or more than all, its pristine beauty, its green hills sloping gently down towards it, and the clear and sparkling calder dashing merrily over the stones at its base. But upon the bridge, and by the riverside, and within the little village, many persons were assembled, conversing gravely and anxiously together, and looking out towards the hills, where other groups were gathered, as if in expectation of some afflicting event. Most of these were herdsmen and farming men, but some among them were poor monks in the white habits of the Cistercian Brotherhood, but which were now stained and threadbare, 
while their countenances bore traces of severest privation and suffering. All the herdsmen and farmers had been retainers of the abbot. The poor monks looked wistfully at their former habitation, but replied not except by a gentle bowing of the head to the cruel scoffs and taunts with which they were greeted by the passing soldiers. But the sturdy rustics did not bear these outrages so tamely, and more than one brawl ensued in which blood flowed, while a ruffianly arquebusier would have been drowned in the calder, but for the exertions to save him of a monk whom he had attacked. This took place on the 11th of March, 1537, more than three months after the date of the watching by the beacon before recorded. And the event, anticipated by the concourse, without the abbey, as well as by those within its walls, was the arrival of Abbot Pasnew and Fathers Eastgate and Haydock, who were to be brought on that day from Lancaster, and executed on the following morning before the abbey, according to sentence passed upon them. The gloomiest object in the picture remains to be described, but yet it is necessary to its completion. This was a gallows of unusual form and height, erected on the summit of a gentle hill, rising immediately in front of the abbot's lodgings, called the whole-houses, whose rounded, bosomy beauty it completely destroyed. This terrible apparatus of condign punishment was regarded with abhorrence by the rustics, and it required a strong guard to be kept constantly round it to preserve it from demolition. Amongst a group of rustics collected on the road leading to the north-east gateway was Cuthbert Ashbead, who, having been deprived of his forester's office, was now habited in a frieze doublet and hose, with a short camlet cloak on his shoulder, and a fox-skin cap, embellished with the grinning jaws of the beast on his head. "'Eh, Ruchetorofs,' he observed to a bystander, "'that's a fearful sight, that gallows. Who han't been up to the toll-houses to take a look at it, belike?' "'No, no, I don't like such sights,' replied Ruchetorofs. Beside, there were a great rabblement at gain. One of them lunges archer chaps knocked me up knob with a pike, and told me he'd hung me with tabbert if I didn't keep out at way. And serve to right too, that cruddenly carl, cried Ashbead, doubling his horny fists. Odds flesh, why didn't you have a tussle with him? My aunt's a itching for a bout with terrific robbers. Well a day, well a day. "'that we should live to see Tully feathers driven like hummerbees out at your nest. "'Why, they saying that King Harry had declared there were to no more monks of Frizey all Englandshire. "'Only think of that. "'And don't you know that Tabbots of Gervaux and Sally were hunged on Thais Day at Lancaster Castle?' "'Good Lord, just bless us!' exclaimed a sturdy hind. "'We the pretty king!' First he chops off his wife's head, and then hongs out priests. What'll the world come to? Eh, hey, bat mess, what when it come to? cried Roger to Rolfs. But we dare not open our mouths for fear of a gog. No, belady, but I stop and mind wide enough, cried Ashbead, and if a dozen of your chaps win join me, I'll try to set poor Abbot free when they brings him here. "'I'd as leave bad till to-morrow,' said Rutchie to Rofes, uneasily. "'Eh, hey, thou art a timorsome tyke as I told to before,' replied Ashbead. "'But what dost thou say, Alan Abs?' he added to the sturdy hind who had recently spoken. "'I an spilt last drop o' my blood in told Abbot's cause,' 
replied Hal and Abs. "'We winna stand by and see him unked like a dog. Abbot Paslut at rescue, lads!' "'Ah, Abbot Paslut at rescue!' responded all the others, except Rutchet Arofs. "'This must be prevented,' muttered a voice near them, and immediately afterwards a tall man quitted the group. "'What were it spoke?' cried Hal and Abs. "'Oh, I seen that e-witch, Nick Demdike!' "'Nick Demdike here?' cried Ashbead, looking round in alarm. "'Has he heard us?' "'Like a now,' replied Hal and Abs. "'But I didn't mind him afore.' "'No, I neither,' cried Roger to Rofes, crossing himself and spitting on the ground. "'Our Lady of Whaley shield us from Borlock.' "'Talking of Nick Demdike,' cried Hal and Abs, "'the old strange adventure we him it neat at great Braster Pendle Hill, and you, Cuthbert?' "'Yeah, t' Philip's tack him if I hadn't,' replied Ashbead. "'Thou'st hear all about it, if it will. "'I was sent by Tabbert down till to Owen a Gabs of Perkins of Dannels and Knolls Humphrey's Orchard, he Warston Lane, to look after him. "'Well, when I gets out at Stone War, what do you think I sees? Twenty or thirty pikemen standing behind it, and they dashes at me as thick as a sleeter, and afore I can roar out, they blindfold at me and clap an iron gog in my mouth. Well, I could neither speak nor see, but I can use my feet. So I punces at em right and left, and by my troth, lads, "'You'd have liked to hear how they roared, so I should roar too if I couldn't, "'when they began to thwack me with their rattling paws, "'and ding me so about the head that I fell back of a swoon. "'When I come to, I was lying on my back in Remington Moor, "'every bone in my eye racked, and my hair were clotted with gore, "'but T-Bond and Gag were gone, so I gets to my feet, "'and daddles along as well as I can.' When all at once I spies a, a lee glinting afore me, and a dancing about like an awful will-o'-the-wisp. Thinks I that's Fry Rush and his lantern, and he'll lead me into a quagmire. So I stops a bit to consider where I'd gotten, for I didn't know it re-rolled exactly. But when I stood still, Fleet stood still too, and then I made out that it come from an old ruined tower. And what I'd fancy were one lantern proved twenty. For when I reached tower and peeped in through a broken window, I beheld a seat I'd never forget a pack of witches. Ah, witches, sitting in the ring with their broomsticks and lanterns about them. Good gorgeous days, cried Hal and Abs. And what else didst thou see, mon? Why? replied Ashbead. Toad Hags had a little figure in midst of em, moulded to clay, representing Tabata Whaley. I knowed it by mitre and crozier, and after each advarmint had stuck a pin in its heart, a tall black mon stepped forward, and tied a cord round its throttle and honked it up. And black man, cried Hal and Abs breathlessly, the black mon were Nick Demdike. "'Yon guessed it,' replied Ashbead. "'Twere he. 
I was so gloppant I couldn't speak, and my blood froze in my veins. When I heard a fearful voice, I asked Nick where his wife and chilt were. The infant is unbaptized, wrote voice. At the next meeting it must be sacrificed. See that thou bring it. Then dark, then bound to summit I couldn't see, and asked when next meeting were to be held. "'On the night of Abbot Paslew's execution,' answered Royce. "'On hearing this I could bear no longer, but shouted out, "'Witches, devils, Lord, deliver us from you!' "'And as I spoke I tried to burst through the window. "'In the trice, old leets went out. "'There were a great rush to tower, a, a whirring around the air "'like a covey of partridges fleeing off, and then I heard no more. A great stone fell on me sconce and knocked me down senseless. When I come to, I was in Nick Demdike's cottage, with his wife waiting over me, and the unbaptized chilt in her arms. All exclamations of wonder on the part of the rustics, and inquiries as to the issue of the adventure, were checked by the approach of a monk, who, joining the assemblage, called their attention to a priestly train, slowly advancing along the road. "'It is headed,' he said, "'by fathers Chatburn and Chester, late bursars of the Abbey. Alack, alack, they now need the charity themselves, which they once so lavishly bestowed on others.' "'Where's me?' ejaculated Ashbead. "'Money a broad merk as I gotten from them.' "'They've been kind to us all,' added the others. "'Next?' "'Come Father Burnley, Granger, and Father Howarth, Cellarer,' pursued the monk, "'and after them Father Dinkley, Sacriston, and Father Moore, Porter.' "'You'll remember Father Moore, lads,' cried Ashbead. "'Yea, to be sure we done,' replied the others. "'A good mon, a great good mon. He never sent a wet poor, now he.' "'After Father Moore,' said the monk, pleased with their warmth, comes Father Forrest, the procurator, with Fathers Reed, Clough, and Bancroft, and the procession is closed by Father Smith, the late prior. "'Down are your whirly-bones, lad, as tolly fathers pass,' cried Ashbead, and crave their blessing. And as the priestly train slowly approached, with heads bowed down, and looks fixed sadly upon the ground, the rustic assemblage fell upon their knees, and implored their benediction. The foremost in the procession passed on in silence, but the prior stopped, and extending his hand over the kneeling group, cried in a solemn voice, "'Heaven bless ye, my children! You are about to witness a sad spectacle. You will see him who hath clothed you, fed you, and taught you the way to heaven, brought hither a prisoner.' to suffer a shameful death. "'But we set him free, holy prior,' cried Ashbead. we made up our minds to it. You just wait till he comes.' "'Nay, I command you to desist from the attempt. If any such you meditate,' rejoined the prior, "'it will avail nothing, and you will only sacrifice your own lives. Our enemies are too strong. The abbot himself would give you like counsel.' Scarcely were the words uttered, than from the great gate of the abbey there issued a dozen arquebusiers, with an officer at their head, who marched directly towards the kneeling hinds, 
evidently with the intention of dispersing them. Behind them strode Nicholas Demdike. In an instant the alarmed rustics were on their feet, and Roger de Rolfs and some few among them took to their heels. But Ashbead, Hal and Abs, with half a dozen others, stood their ground manfully. The monks remained in the hope of preventing any violence. Presently the halberdiers came up. "'That is the ringleader,' cried the officer, who proved to be Richard Asherton, pointing out Ashbead. "'Seize him!' "'No, mon chaleance on me!' cried Cuthbert, and as the guard pushed past the monks to execute their leader's order, he sprang forward, and wresting a halbert from the foremost of them, stood upon his defence. "'Seize him, I say!' shouted Asherton, irritated at the resistance offered. "'Cape off!' cried Ashbead. "'Your best! Like a staggered bay, I'm dangerous! Where horns, I say!' The arquebusiers looked irresolute. It was evident Ashbead would only be taken with life, and they were not sure that it was their leader's purpose to destroy him. "'Put down thy weapon, Cuthbert,' interposed the prior. "'It will avail thee nothing against odds like these.' "'My bay, holy prior,' rejoined Ashbead, flourishing the pike. "'But I only yield with my life.' "'I will disarm him,' cried Demdike, stepping forward. "'No,' retorted Ashbead, with a scornful laugh. "'Come on, then. As to all the fiends he hell at thy back, I shouldn't have feared thee.' "'Yield!' cried Demdike, in a voice of thunder, and fixing a terrible glance upon him. "'Come on, wizard,' rejoined Ashbead, undauntedly but observing that his opponent was wholly unarmed, he gave the pike to Hal and Abs, who was close beside him, observing, "'It shall never be said that Cuthbert Ashbate fought to duel himself unfairly. Now, touch me if thou darest.' Demdike required no further provocation. With almost supernatural force and quickness, he sprang upon the forester and seized him by the throat. But the active young man freed himself from the grip, and closed with his assailant. For though of Herculean build, it soon became evident that Ashbead would have the worst of it, when Alan Abs, who had watched the struggle with intense interest, could not help coming to his friend's assistance, and made a push at Demdike with the halbert. Could it be that the wrestlers shifted their position, or that the wizard was indeed aided by the powers of darkness? None could tell, but so it was that the pike pierced the side of Ashbead, who instantly fell to the ground with his adversary upon him. The next instant his hold relaxed, and the wizard sprang to his feet unarmed, but deluged in blood. Hal and Abs uttered a cry of keenest anguish, and flinging himself upon the body of the forester, tried to staunch the wound. But he was quickly seized by the arquebusiers, and his hands tied behind his back with a thong, while Ashbead was lifted up and borne towards the abbey, the monks and rustics following slowly after, but the latter were not permitted to enter the gate. As the unfortunate keeper, who by this time had become insensible from loss of blood, was carried along the walled enclosure leading to the abbot's lodgings, a female, with a child in her arms, was seen approaching from the opposite side. She was tall, finely formed, with features of remarkable beauty, though of a masculine and somewhat savage character, and with magnificent but fierce black eyes. Her skin was dark, and her hair raven-black, contrasting strongly with the red band wound around it. 
Her kirtle was of murray-coloured serge, simply but becomingly fashioned. A glance sufficed to show her how matters stood with poor Ashbead, and uttering a sharp, angry cry, she rushed forward. "'What have you done?' she cried, fixing a keen, reproachful look on Demdike, who walked beside the wounded man. "'Nothing,' replied Demdike, with a bitter laugh. "'The fool has been hurt with a pike. Stand out of the way, Bess, and let the men pass. They are about to carry him to the cell under the chapter-house.' "'You shall not take him there!' cried Bess Demdike fiercely. "'He may recover if his wound be dressed. Let him go to the infirmary. Ha! I forgot there is no one there now.' "'Father Mancroft is at the gate,' observed one of the arquebusiers. "'He used to act as surgeon at the Abbey.' "'No monk must enter the gate, except the prisoners when they arrive,' observed Asherton. "'Such are the positive orders of the Earl of Derby.' "'It is not needed.' observed Demdike. No human aid can save the man. "'But can other aid save him?' said Bess, breathing the words in her husband's ears. "'Go to!' cried Demdike, pushing her roughly aside. "'Wouldst have me save thy lover?' "'Take heed!' said Bess, in a deep whisper. "'If thou save him not, by the devil thou servest, thou shalt lose me and thy child.' Demdike did not think it proper to contest the point but approaching Asherton, requested that the wounded man might be conveyed to an arched recess which he pointed out. Assent being given, Ashbead was taken there, and placed upon the ground, after which the arquebusiers and their leader marched off, while Bess, kneeling down, supported the head of the wounded man upon her knee, and Demdike, taking a small phial from his doublet, poured some of its contents down his throat. The wizard then took a fold of linen, with which he was likewise provided, and dipping it in the elixir, applied it to the wound. In a few moments Ashbead opened his eyes, and looking round wildly, fixed his gaze upon Bess, who placed her finger upon her lips to enjoin silence. But he could not, or would not, understand the sign. "'Oh, so over me, Bess,' he groaned. "'But I'd rather dee dust with thee beside me than any other way.' "'Hush!' exclaimed Bess. "'Nicholas is here.' "'Oh, I see,' replied the wounded man, looking round. "'But what matters it? I'st be gone soon. Ah, oh, Bess, dear lass, if thou'dst promise to break thy compact with Satan, to repent and save thy precious soul, I should thy consent.' "'Oh, do not talk thus,' cried Bess. "'You will soon be well again.' "'Listen to me.' continued Ashbead earnestly. "'Dost thou know that if thy babe be ne'er baptised afore to-morrow night, it'll be sacrificed at Prince of Darkness? Go to summit holy fathers, confess thy sins, and implore heaven's forgiveness. Mayhap thou save thee and thy infant.' "'And be burned as a witch,' rejoined Bess fiercely. "'It is useless, Cuthbert. I have tried them all.' I have knelt to them, implored them, but their hearts are as hard as flints. They will not heed me, they will not disobey the abbot's cruel injunction, though he be their superior no longer. But I shall be avenged on him, terribly avenged. Save me, thou wicked woman, cried Ashbead. I do not wish to hear thee no more. Let me dear peace. Thou wilt not die, I tell thee, Cuthbert, cried Bess 
Nicholas hath staunched thy wound. He staunched it, sayest thou, cried Ashbead, rising. I never owe my life to him. And before he could be prevented, he tore off the bandage, and the blood burst forth anew. It is not my fault if he perishes now, observed Demdike moodily. Help him, help him, implored Bess. He shanna touch me, cried Ashbead, struggling and increasing the effusion. Keep him off, I adjure thee. Farewell, Bess, he added, sinking back utterly exhausted by the effort. Cuthbert, screamed Bess, terrified by his looks. Cuthbert, art thou really dying? Look at me, speak to me. Ah, she cried, as if seized by a sudden idea. They say the blessing of a dying man will avail. Bless my child, Cuthbert, bless it. Give it to me, groaned the forester. Bess held the infant towards him, but before he could place his hands upon it, all power forsook him, and he fell back and expired. Lost, lost for ever, lost, cried Bess with a wild shriek. At this moment a loud blast was blown from the gate-tower, and a trumpeter called out, "'The abbot and two other prisoners are coming!' "'To thy feet, wench!' cried Demdike imperiously, and seizing the bewildered woman by the arm, "'to thy feet, and come with me to meet him!' End of chapter 3